21st of June 1989. Kenneth Wayne Banks is found by his fiancée in the bathroom, suffering from a gunshot wound to the stomach. Before emergency services could reach him, he would die. Beside him was a scribbled final will. Was it really suicide? Hi, I'm your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Okay, tonight we have a story from one of our islanders, Julie. It's about the death of her father, and the cause of death was suicide. Now, many years later, Julie has come to me with concerns that something more sinister may have happened. It's a story of an older man and a much younger woman. Dodgy wills and things that just don't add up. I interviewed Julie recently, and this is her story. Now, I would like to add that the person and people you'll hear about today have not been charged or even suspected by law enforcement as having done anything wrong. This is just a story about the events leading up to and after Julie's father's death. I have reached out to the other party involved, but have not received any answer. So here we go. Hi Julie, welcome to the show. Thanks for reaching out, and first up, can you give me a bit of background about your family and growing up? Well, I grew up in a very nice part of Irving, Texas, not too far from downtown Dallas, maybe 15 minutes. I uh, used to be the home of the Dallas Cowboys, if that rings true or familiar to anybody. But it was a little bit north, a little subdivision called Las Colinas, uh, about 15 minutes from Dallas. My parent, I was the only child in my parents' union. I had a half-brother and sister aunt from each parent. Very nice upbringing, country club, you know, anything. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I was spoiled, but I didn't want for anything. My dad, my parents loved horse racing. They would always go to, you know, local horse races. And when I was about nine, my dad invested in a racehorse. And he found out, being the animal lover that he was, he found out the guy could not afford... The guy could not afford to feed them, and they were struggling. So my dad came home one day. Instead of a Cadillac, he had a Suburban. We went out to El Paso, Texas, and loaded up all of all of those horses, and my dad became a horse owner. And we had a small little property. Uh, as he got more into it, he got a larger place, which is the place he would ultimately end up living, out in East Dallas, and, you know, until I was... We did that till I was about 13, 14, and then my parents finally separated, which needed to be done, and my dad moved out on the property, and he took a little camper trailer that we had and stayed out there until he actually got a single wide. And, I mean, it was very nice. It was, it was everything he wanted. He thoroughly loved living away from everybody, being with the animals, and he it was about, put him, gave him about a 40-minute drive to work, but he didn't care. He said as long as he had the animals on the property, he was really happy. And parents were not happy together at all. They didn't ever slept in the same bed. And that's when he would start getting breakfast at a diner. Yes. Yes. As he was living in the 
as he was living in the little small trailer, it was just really not optimum for him to cook or make meals. So he started going to this diner called Lindy's. And dad was a big tipper and he was a big guy. I mean, you know, definitely notice his presence. So the waitresses, he was jovial. So waitresses always kind of crowd around him. And there was one I just never kept my finger on it. I just, I didn't like her. I I had no reason to. I just had the intuition. And so he was going there. And then after he got the larger, the single wide, he still continued to go there for meals here and there. And then uh, one night, he was about 17, he asked me to dinner. And that's when he wanted to tell me he was seeing Tammy, one of the waitresses at Lindy's. And I thought, please, just not anyone but the one I'm thinking. And it was Tammy. How long had he been seeing her at this stage? I don't know, because he obviously had to take me to dinner to break that to me. So, you know, it could have been six months, it could have been a year, but she definitely encroached on in on him. At this point, and she lived out of her car um, with birds, <laughs> and, I mean, animals, and, you know, had nothing more than an eighth grade ed- education, which, you know, not judging her for that, but she definitely saw my dad, I think, as a meal ticket. And then you graduated high school. What happened on graduation day? Graduation day, my I went... I went to a private school. There was maybe 15 of us that graduated. So it was inside of the church on the property of the school. And my mother and her daughter sat down. And apparently my dad had run out to get his camera that he'd forgotten in the truck. And inadvertently, my mother and sister sat next to Tammy. And thorough, thorough embarrassment. It was awful. I mean, Tammy was not somebody that you'd be proud that your dad was with anyways. And, you know, mother was just mortified and her daughter had to make a huge scene out of it so yeah not a good graduation day and tammy was quite a bit younger than your father wasn't she she was 32 years younger she had to have been she's about 10 years older than me so she had to have been 28 and dad was 60 now had she she'd been married before hadn't she she had and her husband from what we all understood and this is all at her what she says, we're t- you know, we have to remember we're listening to a liar here. Her husband was in jail in Kentucky. And from what I understand, he, they had lived on a property similar to something my dad had. And the property owner had ended up dead in a well. So somehow the husband got pinned for that. She'd had, I think, three children that she did not have custody of. Like I said, at this point, she was working for my father's plastic packaging company. And he had made her bookkeeper. And that was quite so a she- successful company, wasn't it? Yes, he had it for almost 40 years. It ended on its 40th year. Yes, he did plastic packaging for fast food restaurants, soda companies, bread companies. Very successful. So when did she did she move in with your father? She did move in with him, and I don't know the exact time. Like I said, I was told when I was about 17, so about my senior year of high school that they were dating I'm not real sure when she actually officially moved in. I'm pretty sure they kind of hid it from me for a little while. And then once it was known that she was living there, everything about him changed. The house became absolutely filthy. I mean, animal feces, the birds that were in her car were now free roaming the house. I'm talking maybe 50 to 100 cockatiels. And this is not how my father lived at all. Trash every, I mean, literally when, if, if and when he cleaned house, it would take about five large black trash bags just to get, you know, skim the top of the debris, you know, clothes on top of chairs. And, you know, we're, we're talking about a single white mobile home, you know, we're not talking about a large place. So it got mm. junked up pretty quickly. So as the decline in the business, did anyone notice or 
say anything to your father? To the best they could. He was very much, if you said something you didn't, he didn't want to hear, you were mm-hmm. told, go to hell, and that'd be in that. So he was he was a very, very formidable man. He could be quite funny and entertaining, but on the other side of that coin, he could be very unapproachable. But yeah, apparently when the business was struggling, after she'd become bookkeeper, and he had decided to move into a much larger building, which cost him about $10,000 a day due to permits to moving those type of machines. And that, I believe, I think that took him roughly six months. So, you know, he's my brother, his son, uh, was vice president of the company. And from what I understand, they would go to meetings. And my father, who always been very formal and, you know, dressed to the nines, was showing up very slovenly and telling people, you know, bankers and investors that he's having the best sex he'd ever had. I mean, absolutely behaving in a manner he never would have. You know, my my father never even dropped the F-bomb in front of me. So here he is discussing his sex life with, you know, this 28-year-old, 29-year-old in front of possible investors. So things had changed a lot <clears throat> over that oh, time. Oh, quite a bit. We're talking about a man who wouldn't walk by my, my mother's car in the driveway without inspecting it to make sure it's clean to, you know, him being penniless and and uh, living in filth. So, yes, his, his manner of dress changed. I mean, absolutely not not the man I grew up with. So as his financial situation changed, had anyone approached Tammy or speak with Tammy about what's going on? No. She was unapproachable. She was unapproachable because she had the protection of my father. At one point I was told, because I had, I, at this point I had graduated high school and was living with a guy which was actually, you know, would not have made my father happy. He let me know, he let me know, uh, he knew about it, but that he would, as long as I didn't get in his business, he uh, he would not get in mine, which indicated to me that he knew that we we weren't happy about the Tammy situation, but we were not to bring it up. And you didn't have the best relationship at this time with your father, but you were looking to make that up. No, that came a little, that came towards the end. I did live out there at some point. I was young, struggling. My, my parents were not helping me at all. They were too busy dealing with the aftermath of their divorce Ken was too involved with Tammy, so I, he approached me with the idea of putting a trailer out there for me. So for some, for about a year, I did live on the same property with them, mm-hmm. and and another trailer on the 155 acres. And then your mother got sick. Yes, my mother uh, had cancer; it was terminal, and I informed him that I needed to go home and help her. My her daughter was not being great help. That I needed to go home and help her in her final months. And he, he got, for whatever reason, he became very livid with me. I assured him I would pay, I mean, he had no money. Uh, I assured him I would still help him with anything he needed, that I would still pay my portion of the bills, my car payment. And I mean, he just absolutely was enraged. And I don't know why. So at this stage, what ended up happening to the company? Was it able to uh, carry Oh, the on? company had been gone. The company had yeah. been gone since I was 18. He... He had to sell it out, and he, he was getting $8,000 a month for two years, mm. which he seemed very stressed over what his future would be. Tammy, on the other hand, did not seem to be concerned whatsoever. She was still spending money on frivolous items. Because $8,000 a month is still a good income in 90, while it's In 98, yeah, yeah, 98, especially after your cars are paid off, and, you know, in he was telling me he didn't have enough money to feed the animals or pay the electric bills. I was 18, 19. I had no idea you know, how much it cost to feed the horses. I mean, he was obviously no longer racing them or training them. He was not spending the $200,000 a year he had been. 
but no, I, he was asking me for money to help pay bills and asking that I not tell my, my siblings or Tammy. So, so I have we, no idea where that money was going. So then the few months before your father died, what can you describe what was happening at that time? I can't because that's the time I had to cut him off. Mother was very sick and he was... Anything would almost send him into a rage. He would call. He would not like something. I had a little. I had a car accident. He, you know, he would yell at me. Anything to call and yell at me. And here I am with a dying parent. So I, unfortunately, had to make the choice that I have to deal with the one that's not going to be around much longer, and that I would, you know, make amends one day with with Ken. And so, it was six weeks after your mother mother died that you got yes. the uh, call from your brother. He showed up at my door to tell me that my dad was dead. And that was actually, it was Father's Day of 98. And I was, had actually overslept a little. And, but that morning I had planned on going out to make amends with my father. So as your brother came to your door, what happened then? Did you get in contact with police? Uh, did they, you know, just describe no. what happened? No, I did not get in contact with the police. I assumed him there. My siblings are much older than me. I believe this brother is 14 years older than I am. So I was 20. No, I was 21. I had turned 21. So he was mid-30s. Out of my mother's children, I had to be the responsible one and handle all of her final expenses and situations. And So I left it up to my brother. He told me he had things under control. I mean, we're still at this point, we are thinking that dad honestly committed suicide. It was very confusing. They had dinner the night before with my grandmother and my brother uh, had appeared to be in a great mood. Tammy's divorce for neglect due to her husband being in jail in Kentucky was about to be finalized. And dad was thrilled. He was actually at, he already wore a wedding band. He was thrilled. He was actually going to make it legal with Tammy from what I understood. And he'd worn a wedding band at least for two years. Within the entire time my parents were married, he never wore a wedding band with my mother. I mean, he was very excited about her getting this divorce, being finalized from the gentleman in jail. So we went out to my grandmother's house. Tammy had was still wearing blood-covered clothes. So I stopped at a local superstore, and you know, I got her. I I got her something to wear. And then anytime we'd mention something you know, about a restaurant dad like, she would almost like throw herself on the floor and wail and scream, oh, Ken, and just very dramatic. And, you know, I just lost my mother. So, and I'm 21 at this point. I understood that when my mother passed, you know, who knows how, if my behavior was acceptable to other people. So I'm not trying to pass judgment. She did lose her, in essence, spouse, but it did seem contrived. Yes. So this is when you started thinking something was up. Yeah, I found out that the police, there was a rookie female cop that showed up. Um, and so Tammy was only 30 at this point. Dad was not, dad had just turned 63. So she was 30. And the rookie female cop that showed up on the scene had let her wash her hands because she was covered in blood, sympathized with, with her. So there was no gunshot powder residue check on her at all. So the police quickly came to the conclusion it was a suicide and absolutely immediately forensically examine the scene no they did not do a toxicology i'm sure they did a an autopsy but they did not check him they did not 
check for toxicity levels, poisons in the system, any drugs. And as far as I know, the only medication he took, and this is from the secretary he'd had for seven, sorry, 12 years. The only thing she was basically like another sibling. She had been around so long, so she knew him pretty well. I've asked her a lot of questions. The only thing medication I know that he, anybody knows that he would have been on would be for blood pressure. And I see you've got the information request here. And yes. the Dallas Police Department has reviewed its files and has determined there are no responsive documents to your request. Now, would that include an autopsy file or is that available? That is something I'll have to do separately. And I guess because of you know the door shut on my face, I've been quite apprehensive to mail that form off. Mm. You know, it, this is something that's bothered me for a long time, and this was, you know, I it was I was hesitant to even go down to the police station because of the exact email that I, that you just read off that they have no files on it, which I don't see how that's possible. So, in cases of the police going to a suicide, would it be procedure to take any photos? There are photos. My siblings do have those and are not reluctant to share. So. Mm. I'm not entirely sure why, but uh, from what I understand, they are quite graphic. Mm. But from those photos, I, I would assume the police have those as well. That's I would assume that's how my siblings got the copies. I would assume there would be some type of trajectory that we could look at now, later on. I don't know. The following day, Tammy got rid of every single one of my dad's possessions. We never saw his dog again, his loyal dog. Um, but, I mean, she carted off everything. The very following day, she had all this clothes, belts, everything removed from, which that had to have been a feat in and of its own because that house was such a disaster. She There were some inconsistencies with her story as far as... Yeah, you were saying Tammy <sighs> said Ken was complaining of kidney stones that day. Yes, yeah, so he'd been complaining of kidney stones, which none of us have ever known him to do that. He was complaining of kidney stones and that he had gone into the other bathroom as to not to disturb her and that she heard a loud bang and she thought he had fallen and broken his leg. And he had shot himself. Sure, this is not without its, without coincidence, his favorite three fifty seven Magnum gun that he kept in his car that was not kept in the home. Um, and, he, and he was shot in the stomach. Correct. He was shot in the stomach with a hollow point bullet, which hollow points go in and they shred. It is, it's, it, it took him roughly 20 minutes to die. His, his spleen and liver were uh, absolutely cut in half. And from what I understand, he had spent t- about 20 minutes holding his insides in. And he was naked. So, and yes, and he was naked in a bathtub in a second bathroom. So he had 155 acres to choose from. Plenty of ammunition, plenty of other guns, uh, plenty of other methods to choose to end his life if that's what he so chose to do. And I've recently just done a uh, story on Scott Johnson. and He was originally, the police said it was a suicide when he jumped over a cliff, but he was naked. And they did a uh, psychological forensic autopsy and they just said, men don't get naked and jump over cliffs. It just doesn't happen. And yeah, I would think there was something in the statistics with men being naked and suicide. Or I would yeah. think that with any 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 gender, honestly, I would think that is a very odd choice in, in your last moments. Yeah, and as we, in true crime, say, it's always the spouse. You think that the police would have had a little bit closer look at this. Although this did happen in 1998, so it, it was a long time ago, and we do hope that procedures are a lot better now. Do you think it's just that 
incompetence by the police at the start or laziness? I think it's a little bit of both. I think I think it was her throwing them off by leaving a suicide note by, you know, his favorite gun. And I, I think she did enough to throw the police off of her scent, you know, her over theatrics. I know I, I definitely do think the Dallas police dropped the ball and they have been unwilling to open or to look at this. And that makes me question them if they know that they might have, a, you know, they might be at fault somehow. And it's too late to get forensic evidence now. So if that... I could get pictures from the autopsy, that might help. Mm. Um, I'm not sure. I've, I don't know about ex- exhumation. I, I know that even with embalming and whatnot that and after time that certain poisons if you will will stay in the tissue even after burial yeah that's so true, i yeah. so there still could be an extraction of tissue because he'd had a strong sense that she was poisoning him that could explain his uh, odd behavior yeah <laughs> yes the yeah the very odd going into business meetings you know unkempt and discussing his sex life absolutely because or uh, or the porch decision making after forty years of business and having to shut his doors. I mean, absolutely. She he had expressed to my brother he felt that she was poisoning him. And there were times she wouldn't come home. I mean, absolutely things I I cannot believe my father put up with. Yes, yeah, so she's got a bit of a criminal past herself, hasn't she? Yes, I've done some sleuthing, and she has several. I believe it's in the hundreds counts of check fraud. Any drug convictions? No. And I cannot find... I don't know if her last name is truly her last name, a you know, a maiden name, a married name mm. she, she took on. I don't know if... if so we, we've taken for face value all these years what she told us was true because, well, you know, that's honest people do that. She has hidden honest people also don't. If you have nothing to hide, you don't disappear so it's taken some work to find where she is she's she's about an hour north of me and no i don't see anything other than check fraud but you know considering the type of people she hangs out with yeah so what has she done in the uh since 1998 well she's living very nicely she's uh living a lot better than when she was when she was living in her car and met my dad because he allowed her to get a degree while they were while she was working for him. Yeah, she actually lives fairly well. What do you think your next action would be if we can get some uh, exposure on this case? Do you think there'd be pressure put on the uh, Dallas police to have a closer look at this? You know, that would be my absolute last resort. I don't want to pressure them unless they just absolutely won't hand over anything, materials. That This was this was not a short case. We took her to, she, we took her to court. She took us to mm. court. This lasted about seven, eight years. There has to be something in some kind of court records. There, there's no way this, somebody, if, even if it was legitimate suicide, no one just disappears and doesn't have a record of did, their death. Did he have any life insurance at all? Well, here, that's my question. I wonder... And from what I understand in Texas, if you have life insurance for a certain length of time, even if there's a suicidal death, it will still pay out. I wonder if that that stipend he was getting for two years, if she was still remaining to pay his life insurance without him knowing it. So a suicide still could have benefited her. And she seems can, like the sort of person who is cunning that way. Oh, to, very, to yes. Know streetwise. Yeah, extremely. As they say, you know, birds of a feather. So she had... Any of her acquaintances, anyone she's been associated with as far as legal marriage, lived with. I mean, these I've looked. These people all have records. 
So the only pe- the only people who don't have records that are around her are the ones who are dead. So if we look at the motivation, what motivation she would have? Where can we look? Was maybe that that your father was coming to the end of his money, and she possible. thought it's time now to get what's and left, or do possible. you think he was going to finish the relationship? I don't uh, think what, he was going to finish because he was he was so excited about. The, kind of the fact that her divorce mm. was going to be finalized and mm. they had waited on that so they wouldn't have to spend any money mm. because after i don't know about over in other countries but in the u.s after you have been have had no contact cannot get a hold of a spouse uh you can get a divorce for neglect i think it's you know it's maybe three hundred dollars it's a very inexpensive fee so that would have been much cheaper for them to take that route so i mean i think within a week they could legally get married and he was very enthusiastic about that all accounts say he was very enthusiastic about that. And then while I was staying with him, I would get some sp- suspicious phone calls from Lou Starrett, which is the Dallas jail. And I thought it was maybe one of his former employees because he could be a very, very generous man. I thought maybe, you know, maybe just collect calls and I would decline him. I was thinking in my head, oh, you know, if somebody doesn't know dad's on hard times and doesn't need to be giving money out uh, to help them. And I told him about these calls that were pretty frequent. And he said, no, no, always take those. Those are Tammy's brothers. And he said he went, he would take her to go visit them, put money on their books and whatnot. And he described them as one in, in particular, very specifically, very that he's, he was an odd duck of a guy, what he looked like. About a year after dad was gone at one of our court, many, many court appearances with her she ended up with a new husband and my bro i didn't see him and my brother described him in the exact manner that my dad had described her brother so those so-called brothers in prison were more likely friends yes and but- they they had been in jail the one that i know that they one for sure that she ended up marrying had been in jail for forgery so we're dealing with check fraud and forgery and i never could get anybody to look into that and and maybe put together a conspiracy on that so how's the rest of your family? Oh, not now? well, not well, not well. None of us, the my dad's children, and I, I, I really have almost no, no communication with them at all. I think my sisters and uh, we fought this for a long time and dealt with it. I think she doesn't want to deal with it anymore. My brother's very unstable. He also is the one who had to identify his dad's body. Mm. I mean, I, I'm sure you know. So he does suffer from PTSD. And it's affected his wife, his marriage, his three children, and his life. So, no, they are not well at all. Yeah, this sounds like the typical police screw up at the start. Tammy sounds very suspect. What her motivation would be to do it at that time, that's I'm not sure about. Especially if they were going to get married a week later or so. But oh, I think that would be her definite out away from him. Or the will. It wasn't a suicide note, was it? Well, he had a legal will. He had a legal will from before he his company went into bankruptcy, and it said that his children, the three of us, were to split everything evenly. I mean, he he did. He had a lot of things acquired over the years, having a company and the animals and whatnot. Obviously, this is before he fell on harder times. So the what was next to him in this small bathroom where he was killed uh, was a just a small the memo type of memo pad you would put you know men tend to put in their pockets to make notes. Just you know maybe it would about well, they're about three by five, if even that. There was a page. There was a page ripped out, and it said simply, "I leave all of my possessions." But possessions was misspelled to poison essence, to 
I don't want to say her full name. I mean, I'm happy to, but but leaving it to her. And my father was somebody who actually really took pride in his vocabulary. And I used to catch him reading the dictionary for fun. The man would not have spelled possessions as possessions, poisonations, pardon me. And at the top of this little handwritten note, uh, the date would have been 6-21-98. He had begun to write 9-1 and that is marked out and the true date was put there. So we believe he was trying to tell us and it was an emergency. And his signature was not the same. He always put Kenneth But his signature was always very complicated. And I believe he did that on purpose because he owned a company. This is back in the days when, you know, they actually signed the payroll checks. So I think he always did that so nobody could forge his signature. Um, It was very difficult. Trust me, I tried in high school. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and he would either put, you know, sometimes he might put, um, you know, KB, his initials. So he would either put his initials or his very exaggerated Kenneth Banks. So this... You know, last will he's you know supposedly written is just simply signed KB, and that was enough for the courts, eh? That was more than enough. We went we went to probation court over that. Uh, we tried to take the actual his legal will. We had handwriting analysis done on the piece of paper, and they were they we had a, a few done, and the main theory seemed to be it was his handwriting, but done under duress, and the court still took that as his final will and testament. And I find it odd that that piece of paper was not covered in blood. If you had written that, I mean, if also you're naked, so did you go into another room to get a piece of paper right before you killed yourself? You know, mm. you need to make, you know, you need to make sure that's written down. But, and so if that paper had to have been there before he committed suicide, clearly he didn't do it after. There was no blood splatter, nothing on that paper. And we're talking about a very bloody scene and a small bathroom. Yeah, because I don't carry a notepad around into the bathroom. Especially if you're not feeling well, mm. supposedly. Especially if I'm naked, where I'm going to put it. Exactly. So, yeah, where did where did that come from? Why was that now do you think for him? Now, do you think there could have been an accomplice that actually did the shooting? I absolutely do. I think that the, the so-called brother who turned into a husband, uh, from what I understand, he didn't live too far away from this property. And he was out at the time. Yes, he was out. My dad was about 6'4", about 260 pounds or so. Tammy was maybe, you know, average height, you know, for a woman. I don't see, even with a gun, how she could overpower a man that size by herself. And Tammy, of course, knew where the gun was. We all knew where his favorite gun was. And we do think that was definitely another slap in the face, that it was Father's Day and done with his favorite gun. And her story is that she could see see from the bedroom into that bathroom that he had gone out to the car somehow and that is an app that's that cannot be true because the crime scene photos like i said with all the clothing and the debris and the obstruction and that was, her view was absolutely obstructed that was not a possibility so she had out so her tale to the police was not consistent with what could have actually what she could have actually seen. The funeral, she would not go near the casket. She stayed about maybe 30 feet away and hugged a tree and screamed and wailed to the point we couldn't even hear the ministers. Just looking back, so many actions that people do, like it's almost how they think they're supposed to behave if they're really, truly that upset and heartbroken and distraught. Yeah, did you see actual tears or was it no. just an act? Mm. No. No, lots of just wailing, hugging a tree, 
you know, I've heard plenty of times that sometimes in, in true crime that people who are honestly guilty, they don't want to see their handiwork. They don't want to go to mm. the coffin. They don't want to see it. And I mean, looking back, she never approached that coffin. So what I can see here is you've got your father and mother break up. He starts living alone, meets the young waitress who's 30 years younger than him, and they form a relationship. And several years later, uh, years later. Yes. uh, Yes. From 94 to 98 that I know of. He starts to deteriorate from being very well dressed, very business minded. His business starts to go down. He starts to be slovenly, starts to act out of character. Next thing you know, you get told by your brother that he's your father's dead. And as details come out, he's committed suicide. He's naked in the bathroom with his favourite gun, shoots himself in the stomach, which that must be very awkward with a three fifty seven Magnum. Exactly. I've thought about that. I mean, even though he was a large man, that was a large gun. Yeah. And that, that that is a very odd angle. And then you find that... The brother of Tammy turns out to become a like a husband. Uh, yes. She displays all the characteristics of somebody who's suspect of the the acting, the overacting, not wanting to see the the casket, all these sort of things. The police didn't really take any forensic evidence, so there's nothing to go back and test again. So they haven't taken any clothing, anything like that. The will looks is just scribbled out beforehand looks like it's either made under duress with maybe some clues in it to suggest it's been taken under duress so you've got all these things and years down the track trying to get some justice it's it's a very difficult thing isn't it yes it's just been it's proven to be almost impossible which is what i i feared you know, we, we did spend many years in court with her over just you know silly things there was not much to be had worth to us, that was worth monetary value. I mean, she sold it all off. His favorite horse was gone the next day. Like I said, his dog was gone the next day. I mean, basically anything she could take to a flea market was, I mean, was hauled off. It was gone. And that's a typical, very suspect thing in these type of cases. As you know, a lot of us are into true crime and we've gone through thousands of cases on TV, the ones we investigate ourselves. And people who do these things, like move all the their spouse's stuff out into the bin the next day that may be missing. It's it's really very suspect. Oh, he was buried. I gave him, in, when I was eight years old, I gave him a gold chain for Father's Day. The man never took it off. He showered with it. That was, that was not there with him when he was buried. His glasses weren't even with him when he was buried. Mm. I mean, it was just absolutely, that was very odd to all of us because we you know, that I, I could halfway understand the chain why 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 his glasses i mean it's almost like she had to strip everything that was him almost despite us so that was my interview with a fellow islander julie so what do you think to me it seems like not is all as it seems i did do a bit of research And as I said during the show, males rarely commit suicide naked. In fact, I don't think many people commit suicide naked. It's rare that someone will shoot themselves in the stomach as well. Now, what about the way Julie's father was acting before he died 
and that was totally out of character. Also, the hastily written will, which somehow had no bloodstains on it at all. And maybe he was uh, Ken was trying to convey a secret message that it was being written under duress. The fiancé throwing out or selling off all of Ken's possessions just after his death. Now Julie knows that it will be extremely difficult to get further investigation into her father's death, especially if it was the police force not doing a proper investigation initially. Of course, this would open them up to litigation. Our thoughts and prayers go out to Julie, and I do hope that she can get some sort of closure over this matter. So that's about it. And as I'm recording this days before I release it, I'll go out with the same, uh, the ending I did on the last episode. So True Crime Island is a listener-supported show and is commercial-free for all. I'd like to thank the newest Patreons, Siobhan, Scarron, Stephanie, Sharon, Tracy, Margaret and Quinn Marie for all their support. Thank you very much. If you want to become a Patreon of the island, just go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland where for as little as a dollar a month you can become a Patreon. All funds go directly back to the island. You can also do a one-off payment via PayPal and you can do that by typing paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland and I would love to thank Amber who did just this. Thank you so much. If you want stickers or koozies, you need to email me directly and my email is cambo at truecrimeisland.com and I can price it up for you according to postage. I have about eight can coolers left and maybe 30 bottle ones, so be quick. Also, I'm ordering pins and keyrings, which will be available in the next few weeks. So if you're looking at koozies, maybe hold off because I will have them in a few weeks. And again, you'll have to contact me for those via my email address. All other merch, such as t-shirts, hoodies, tote bags, mugs of rage, and all the stuff like that is via the shop at truecrimeisland.threadless.com. There's links to everything at my website, truecrimeisland.com. Again, you do not have to spend money to support the show. You can rate, review and share the love. The more people who know about the show, the better. If people don't know what a podcast is, then show them the way. Join the Facebook group, just search for True Crime Island and join in the chat. Don't forget to check out the Twitter and Instagram. The island handle is at True Crime Island. You can join in the chat and there are so many other podcasters you'll find on there as well. And hi to all the followers. Again, I want to remind you that True Crime Island is entered into the Australian Podcast Awards and you can vote for the island in the popular vote category. If everyone that listens votes for the island, and it is your island, I will get the opportunity to yell Boomfagalanga to the whole world. So go to australianpodcastawards.com and go to the popular vote link and vote for the island, your island, as it's you, the listeners, that make this island what it is. Guess what? I've got a promo this week for Mina at True Crime Finland. 
If you haven't heard this podcast, do yourself a favour and search for it on iTunes or your favourite podcatcher. Well, that's it for tonight. So, this has been Cambo, and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. from True Crime Finland. Ah, Finland, so peaceful and safe. There isn't even any crime there, right? Wrong. Join me every two weeks in discovering the dark side of the land of a thousand lakes. Everything from human trafficking and Ponzi schemes to double homicide and child abuse. From the forgotten and lesser known to the legendary and infamous Finnish cases, the podcast will be sure to offer something for everyone. You can find True Crime Finland on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts.